into the area. Janček, stab through, chance, shot, goal! Full stop! Unbelievable scenes at the end for the derby! Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Edinburgh's most successful football club and a team with a better derby record at the home of their rivals than the club that actually plays there. It's episode 150 and I am Laurie Dunsire, joined yet again by Mark Donaldson. So the next couple of episodes that we have, we can take the first two numbers from our episode this week and say 5-1 or 1-5 and we can take the first two sorry we can take the second two numbers or the third two numbers it's early i'm in new york i got up to do this because we have a special guest that was only available to come on today friday morning because he's been trying to catch martin boyle in training and hurt him ahead of the Edinburgh Derby. And he's chased him all over Southeast Asia. And he hasn't been able to do so, Ryan McGowan. Why not? Well, I did catch him. That's why he was injured. And that's why I didn't play in Vietnam. But I just don't know if I caught him good enough. <laughs> you didn't, Mark, you ruined the intro. I meant to play this first. Guess who's back? I told you this last night, Mark. I told you just now. I've got a little intro for Ryan. We'll play it before he speaks. That. And then you prompt him. So now it was to play 2 a.m. It. it was 2 a.m. <laughs> I'm in a New York City bar, having watched the NFL and having watched two teenage girls get, in, get into the final. I had to see that quickly. Get, in, <laughs> get into me? the US Sorry, Open what? Women's Final. Okay. Get into the US. Thank, thank you. Thank God. When I started that sentence, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> quick finish. There's no pausing. Um, it was late. It was dark. I was I was with another Aussie, 
And the trouble these Aussies, my co-host on ESPN's tennis coverage for Australia, or Ryan McGowan, trouble wherever you look. So apologies for the oversight. I did listen to it. I just well, this this show never has any sort of kind of crux to it or yeah, skeletal features or that's anything your fault, like though. that. <laughs> Not always. Like I had ruined the whole intro. I know. I had this, look, I had my lines here in front of me. It says. Ryan McGowan, more Derby goals, more Edinburgh Derby goals than John McGinn, more Edinburgh Derby goals at Easter Road than Tam McManus, and more goals in a Hamden Edinburgh Derby than Lee Griffiths, Gary O'Connor, Derek Riordan, basically any Hibs player bar two. And I, that's good. That's, that's fine. You put that in anywhere. I like that. You like that, Ryan? One for the quiz questions? Yeah, <laughs> I love that one. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing, Ryan? You've just got back from international duty. A little bit jet lagged, but um, yeah. All good back in beautiful QA, which is um, which has been really good. And um, yeah, like you said, it was good to to get away with the international boys and um, get two wins on the board, which sets us up nicely for the qualifying campaign. You didn't play a minute, did you? Good teammate. You're only as strongest as your weakest player. So we're quite weak. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. You signed for Q8 Sporting Club in July, which is... They offered shit tons of money. Obviously, Correct. Joe Savage couldn't match what... Um, what whoever the Q8 version of Joe Savage was offering you, Shake <laughs> Savage. <laughs> but I was um I was interested. I was having a look at your new your new teammates, and I think you posted a picture with one previously, Mister John Obi Mikel. And yeah. I don't know. Have, have you ever sat and chat chatted with John Obi Mikel about the nineteenth of May, twenty twelve, when the same day that you were um battering. Paco Jabby and Gary O'Connor, John Obi Mikel was playing 90 minutes and extra time and breaking the hearts of Manuel Neuer, Tony Cruz and Thomas Muller in the Champions League final. Yeah, I think he strongly disagreed that my achievement was better than his. But um, <laughs> we did, we have discussed between us, we've won a few few trophies all over the world. But yeah, it's a, a great player to have in the squad. Um, you know, just his experience, he's played over 200 games for Chelsea. Uh, close to 100 games internationally and um, yeah you know he definitely brings uh, a great pedigree to the to the squad and um, you know the, the squad that we have assembled is is pretty good for not only Kuwait but hopefully to do well in the, the Asian tournaments. What's it like over there level wise I know that you're still kind of pre-season just now but what how does it compare to where you've been previously? Yeah it's a good standard um, it's it, it's so hard to compare. Like I get asked this question loads of times, you know, to compare A-League teams to Scotland or Chinese teams. And um, it's just so hard because of, you know, the outside circumstances, I guess. You know, it's last night was 46 degrees at seven o'clock while we were training. <laughs> so, um, you know, that in itself brings its difficulties, but the local players are, are used to it. So, yeah, I don't know how how well some Scottish teams would deal with <laughs> that type of heat but um, yeah you know you put John Obi Mikel I would imagine that he would probably play for most teams in the SPL and um, yeah we've got a few most of our local players play at national team level so you know we're, we're one of the definitely one of the strongest um, teams in sort of the, the golf I think so all bodes well hopefully for a successful season World Cup coming next year obviously I think 21 caps you're on at the moment. Twenty-one caps, yeah. Good, still part good of knowledge the, there. Still part of the international. Wikipedia is great. Still part of the international squad. Um, will that put you in good there. stead? 
do you think for next year? Obviously, with the yeah, World Cup so. being in Qatar. Yeah, so I had spoken to uh, you know the national team manager when this came up because we're actually in camp um, as this came up. So it was quite a good opportunity to um, to speak to him, and um, because I was out of contract in Sydney, um, you know, I could have a discussion with him on sort of potential moves and, and where he thought would be best. I didn't want to go anywhere um, where he said which kind of ruled it out. I guess if you know if I signed for somewhere and he said, well, I can't pick you for for playing in that league. But you know, with the the way the world is at the moment and the way that Australia is, especially, it's it's really difficult to play in Australia and uh, with the quarantine rules. And uh, you know, he just said if anything sort of comes up in the in the Gulf region, then I would still be considered for selection. Um, you know, it helps because it's sort of the central part of the world in terms of where we play most of our games and mm-hmm. and the heat's a big factor you know I'm sort of acclimatized to it when we go to Qatar or, or different places so um you know that definitely helped in, in making my decision and I had a few options that I could have picked from but yeah, yeah it was, it's it's been good we, we were actually also in Kuwait at the time so it was a good oh, nice. little um experience for me to just you know as it was in the pipeline I could check out the city and the standard and the, the stadium and the facilities and everything like that. So I had a little bit of a, a pre-warning of, of what I was getting into. And um, yeah, like I said, you know, the president and the shakes and the, the coaching staff and everyone's was very keen for me to come, which, you know, is a massive part as a player. You want to feel wanted and, you know, I wasn't just kind of a, a club signing or a, an agent pushing me. It was, it was a club actually getting in contact with me and, you know, showing me a, sort of PowerPoint of, of what they wanted and the, their sort of goals for the season and, and where I fitted into that. So, you know, I think for any player, when you see a club putting that sort of um, information in front of you and, and showing you how much they want you, it, it definitely does help. Here's a question for you, for you, Ryan. And we would all have done exactly the same thing uh, if offered the the, the, the choice because a footballer's career only lasts a certain period of time and, and you have to set yourself and your family up financially for for the rest of your life and and you've done that whether it's Kuwait and and China because you've been willing to move elsewhere now if hearts who weren't going to come in for you because they had this policy of kind of 26 or under so you kind of knew pretty early on that that wasn't an option but if it was a straight choice between earning what you earn in Kuwait and the lifestyle that you've just mentioned ahead of the World Cup or going to Hearts on less money, what would you have chosen? I knew this question would come up as soon as I yep. signed up. As soon as I said I'd join, yep. I knew yep. this question yep. would yep. Um, Straight away, <laughs> off the bat. Yeah, listen, uh, people forget if I didn't have my connections with Hearts um, and, and sort of the affiliation I have with the club, it would be a, a club that anyone would jump at if they were interested in you. You know, it's, it's one of the biggest clubs in Scotland. Scotland's, for an Australian or for most people in the UK, everyone, you know, it's on TV. It's everyone in the world knows Scotland, Celtic Rangers, Hearts, Hibs, Aberdeen. You know, they know it's a strong league. So it would definitely be one that, that I would definitely consider and add on everything that you touched in, in terms of my affiliation with the club and, um, you know, the good times that I've had there. Uh, I would be a pretty silly boy to to not join there and um yeah you know like you said i'm getting sort of to that stage where i want to settle down and, and want to sort of you know need to start looking at that life after football and you know my family's based in edinburgh so it would it would tick a definitely a lot of boxes for me but um that option was was never on the table and you've um, you've practiced yeah. this answer haven't you 
Very, very different. I was just reading it off my phone. I was reading yeah, it. Yeah, excellent. That would be the media training that you got all those years ago. The bigger question for you, Ryan, is have you managed to find somewhere you can get a beer yet? Uh, no. No, not yet. Not yet. Not that I've been I've been uh you know actually quite busy as much as you two don't believe me, but um yeah. with preseason and and tournaments mm. everywhere, it's it's been mm. it's been quite mm. hard. But we def- we had a few beers on the on the flight from uh, Vietnam to Qatar, which was good with a few of the Aussie boys. And um, yeah, it's um, sort of pre-season. I, I don't normally tend to drink as much mm-hmm. pre-season, but it's going to be interesting if we uh, have a few bad results or um, yeah, want to blow off some steam. It's, it's going to be a little bit more difficult than it was previous years, for sure. Right, so we will get into a few questions for you. We've got some uh, submitted by people on social media and elsewhere. And we're going to have a look ahead to the Edinburgh Derby this weekend. Your thoughts, Ryan, on the current Hearts team in the season so far and maybe some memories from your time playing in the big Edinburgh Derby games as well. Right, let's have a look at some of the questions we've got. Um... First up, Talking Tiny Podcast uh, asks you, um, Have having watched a bit of Cammy Devlin, do you think he could possibly play right wing back for the Derby? Um, Smith potentially out, Logan not fit. Thinking Devlin, as it appears, he has an engine and likes a tackle, could also go Kingsley, would be, but would be on his weaker side. What do you think? You've you've seen Cammy Devlin play before in the A-League? Uh, I think he could do a job. Um, for sure, do I think that he would be the best option? All things considered, you know, joining a new team, playing a different position that he's probably ever played. I probably wouldn't personally put him there, but no. So he's probably not played there that, before. I, yeah, I don't think he's played that position before. But yeah, he's definitely got all the attributes to do a job as such. Um, you know, I think sometimes if I was Robbie, I would be a little bit apprehensive if he had played 15, 20 games and then that's a different story. You can sort of mm-hmm. slide him across there. But, um, you know, you've seen enough players sort of make their debut and um, with it being a derby, it's, I think I've touched on it before, it's kind of make or break. If he doesn't particularly play well there, then, you know, first impressions can last the longest, really. And Nielsen has said on Devlin, um, he will be involved about the derby. He's looking sharp. We had a bounce game last week and he did really well. What do you think he could bring to to a game like this? Obviously, you've, I know you've spoken to him, and I know uh, Cammy himself mentioned in a news article that uh, I've heard a lot about the derby from Ryan McGowan. He's told me more than once that he scored in that game in reference to the five one cup final. What, what do you think he could bring to a game like this? Because he does seem very enthusiastic and very excited to get going. Yeah, he's just one of those players that you love having on your team. Um, he's so comfortable on the ball, and he'll go get it in in any of the areas. And uh, I think he's mentioned before, he, he just likes starting play up. And, and at the same time, when you lose the ball, he's just a sort of energizer bunny in terms of, of getting in around it. And he's got a real knack of, of winning the ball and, and being in those right positions to either cut out passes or sort of come on the blind side of attackers when they, when they think they can turn and, and nicking it off and starting attacks. And, um, you know, he's one that I definitely enjoyed uh, watching in the A-League because a lot of sort of those kind of positions can go, you know, side to side or full back to full back, whereas he likes to try and find the tens or find the, the wingers who have come inside. So um, I think that's the sort of thing that they've 
they've looked at. And, you know, I've been impressed with Hart's overall structure. I think we're going to touch on that later with, you know, the players that they've brought in, mm-hmm. especially this summer. Um, I think, you know, previous transfer windows, it's kind of been an influx of players and almost sort of, you know, trying to fit in good players to a formation where I feel like they've gone out and they've tried to identify the players that they want or need um, for the style of player they want to play and then find found that best player to fit that system. And I think Cami definitely would fit in that mould in terms of they've done their research on him. They know exactly what type of player they're after. And, and he ticks all those boxes in terms of, you know, winning the ball back, um, being dogged as a in a defensive type situation but at the same time then being allowed to to get on the ball and start attacks and you know I definitely think once you see him play you'll definitely understand what I mean in terms of you know he's not the biggest in the world but he's got a massive desire to to win the ball back and and to make the the most of the opportunity he's getting at hearts. Joel Sked messaged me um, a few questions I'll quickly go through some of these with you so first one's not even a question he just says Mauricio Pena discuss. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what a guy he's a great guy uh, for the young boys he was he was always good for um, when you seen him on a night out he'd always grab your beer which was good um, and he was always out which was even better I was going to say <laughs> whatever George night Street, you went yeah. out because um, yeah, we were obviously on a different schedule when we were in the youth team so I sort of would maybe have a, a Tuesday off so we would be, maybe be out on a Monday night and lo and behold so would he so um yeah, he definitely enjoyed the the nightlife in Edinburgh, and um, yeah, he just he was just a good guy first and foremost, and, and a terrific player, and um, one that always sort of had time for us young boys. And uh, looking back, it's it's kind of crazy to think that we had a player of his caliber at, at Hearts, and um, you know, on the downside, we just wish that we'd seen the the best of him. And you know, I was always sort of surprised in terms of when I was at the World Cup and we and we played Chile. I'd, I hadn't seen him for. I'll uh, probably be a good four or five years and um, we're in the tunnel before the game and he, he came over and tapped me on the shoulder and gave me a big smile and um, yeah, it was good that he obviously had half remembered me or um, and, and ended up getting me a shirt drunken after the game, which was, which was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. A drunken haze so, sure I've seen that drunk guy and yeah, seen that drunk guy in Lulu a couple of times a few years ago and um, yeah, so, you know, that just little things like that. Football world's so small and um yeah, it's, it's a great top to have um, from the World Cup for, for someone that, you know, I think I remember, especially after those sort of games, remember Romanov early on said he was going to bring in World Cup players and all this stuff. And it was funny enough that, you know, four or five years later after he said that, there was, there was two of us that had played for Hearts uh, representing our countries at a World Cup, which was, which was pretty cool. Any Hibs player, this is again, this is from Joel, any Hibs player who was constantly targeted because they weren't very good. Now, you don't maybe don't have to give away a name. You can't give away a name if you want to, but maybe just were there any particular players? You know, obviously you were fairly successful to say the least in the Edinburgh Derbies. Was it was in any positions or players that were targeted in those games? Not as such. I think under Jeffries, he he sort of just had that mindset of it's like Hibs, you know, like just go out and win. It doesn't really matter who they're playing. Or I remember. You know, we wouldn't even really look at their team. It was just more of a case of, of what we done. Um, Sergio was a little bit more conservative in terms of any team that we were playing. He sort of looked at the strengths and weaknesses, and you know, especially the sort of 2011-12 season. We were so successful over Hibs. I think we won every every derby, but we also had a, a conscious effort of they had like that Griffiths and O'Connor who that season. 
I think scored maybe 30 goals between them. So they had a few players that we had to be sort of wary of or, or game changers in terms of, you know, they could be doing nothing all game and, and score a rocket. So um, They also had Parker yeah, Jabby, probably, though. Yeah, they, <laughs> they didn't have some, some great players at the time. But um, I remember being confident going into the derby, knowing that um, like that, uh, I think it was me and Suso on the right, and they were going to sort of play a diamond, which meant, you know, we could try and 2v1 and sort of Pai Kajabi or, or that left-hand side and, and same with the other side with um, Granger and Driver. So there was a big emphasis on us going into that final of, you know, if we could get the better of the, the fullbacks, it would definitely give us a, a chance. And, and also knowing that, you know, if we were sort of keeping the fullbacks busy, then it, it left more room for for Rudy and Sleeves and um, sort of our midfield. So, uh, you know, you know, tactically, everyone knows how that worked out and it, it worked out probably better than we had planned going into that final that I don't really talk about too much. <laughs> no, no, not to Cammy Devlin or anyone else who will listen, of course. Um, Joel also says, other than winning, how did you make sure you got under their skin when it comes to Hibs? Because it was one of those runs at that time where it seemed to be that we just had the edge over Hibs. Um, you, you can say quality, certainly, but also mentally, it felt like there was something that Hearts had over Hibs. And that's been the case, I guess, for many years in some ways. But was there anything in particular that, that you did? Was there anything you felt that was a particular strength in the dressing room or behind the scenes or on the pitch that helped the team in those derbies? I'm not too sure. I think especially around that time, um, I know personally, I just looked at it and it's like any derby in terms of derbies are remembered for for years and years and years and, and they're remembered for special moments. Um, you can look back on all the derbies and they're remembered purely on on moments. You might not remember the, the day or the score, but you'll remember Gary Glenn scoring in the Scottish Cup. Everyone instantly remembers that celebration, the touch, the pass from Karapetis, you know, Valicia scoring two at Easter Road, Craig Beatty's one from Ian Black's ball at Tynecastle. Everyone remembers those, those key moments and, um, I remember personally just being like, these are the games that can define your time at Hearts. You know, from all of the games that I think I've played 80 plus games for Hearts, there's probably only three or four games that people remember. And, um, you know, there was such an importance on those derbies. And I remember personally uh, sort of having that drilled into me from Darren Murray at the, at the youth team. Um, and it was sort of a club feeling of, you know, these derbies can, can make or break your career. And if you have a good game or if you score, or if you have a, a good moment, it can it can be a tackle, it can be a clearance, it can be it can honestly be anything that you do that sort of stands out that people just remember more than your your other games against even against Celtic or Rangers or or Aberdeen. So it was definitely something that the club used to drill in in terms of the players and that if you create those special moments and if you're willing to to try something new and to win those games, then you know, you're remembered for years to come. And um, I was just so lucky to be involved in, in so many derbies that not only did we win, which makes fans remember, but we, we you know, we had some pretty special moments, um, you know, throughout the, throughout those, those games that I played in. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really lucky and fortunate enough to, to have some of those moments and, and score and, and uh, yeah, have some pretty good things that can look back on and, and discuss in, podcasts like these <laughs> i love that i love the fact brian that joel sked already has the article written that all these questions yeah. are, are aimed at <laughs> and he now he's now he's got the quotes that he can just copy and paste from the transcript and put in and, and get himself 
um, £3,000 because apparently that's <laughs> what the Scotsman pays per article these days, which is a lot yeah, more than when than when I was uh, when I was in Scotland, I have to say. But it's a lot less than what you're on in New York, isn't it? <coughs> Sorry, it's a bad line. Right. Oh, in fact, in fact, hold on, rewind, rewind. If that comes from Dunside, I'd say, oh, it's a bad line. It's coming from the fucking king of Qatar or Kuwait or Abu Dhabi or whatever the hell you are. It's You've as, got more money than a horse in a suitcase. Unbelievable <laughs> scenes. Don't give me this. Let's not start that because there's only one winner here and it ain't me. We're not going off on these tangents already, right? I've got two more from Joel Sked. He's not finished his article yet. <laughs> How um, long is this? That'll be five grand it'll be for Joel now for this article. It'll be like 2,500 words. He says, Jesus. who next from the A-League to join Hearts? Because obviously we've got Cammy Devlin, who's who's just come over. It's um, a Kev- mark- Kevin Muscat, back playing. <laughs> Go on, Gowser, get your... You, he just you won, get yourself he just a won manager of the month in Japan. Of, of play. I definitely think it's a market that um, I think Scottish teams have done well in it, or even like Hibbs got McLaren, Milligan, mm-hmm. um, Jackson Irvine. You know, Australian players, I was, I was speaking to my mates about this today actually. Um, you know, Australian players and a lot of players in sort of Asia, similar to the, the Japanese striker that's gone to Celtic, you know, they see Scotland as a, as a great, I don't want to say stepping stone, but platform to showcase what they have. And, you know, I think if you're trying to get to the Premier League or to England or to a, a big club in Europe, it's definitely a pathway that you need to go and play somewhere in the UK because it's a big risk to take someone from Australia or from Japan or Korea, China to, to straight into those leagues. So you kind of have to bypass or go somewhere to then get to that step. And, you know, I definitely think that there's players that can step up and, and play. I'm trying to think of a player that I don't put me how, on the spot, How good Jamie McLaren, by the way, Ryan? Because he was top scorer in the uh, the A-League last season by some distance. And, and he obviously had a loan spell at Hibs uh, a few years ago. How good is he? Because he's 28 right now. Yeah, he's very good. Um, I think even that in that short spell when he was at Hibs, he scored a lot of a lot of goals. And, and he's just a goal scorer. And they're sort of hard to come by. He's one of those players that, you know, when you see strikers go somewhere and you're just guaranteed if he plays a full season and stays injury-free, especially in the A-League, you're looking at 20-plus. I think he's done that four or five seasons now. And, and even when he was at Hibs, I think he's probably getting a goal every two games, which is which is pretty good going for a, for a striker. So, yeah, you know, there's definitely those types of players that are in Australia. I've had a few phone calls about a few players um, that maybe they could have got, you know, 12 or 18 months ago, but have now moved on to different clubs. There was Riley McGree, who was at Adelaide United. He's now at Birmingham. Um, you know, I think he would have fitted in perfectly to a, a club like Hearts or, or anyone in Scotland. So I definitely think it's a, a market that if you can go in and get some players, you know, it's sort of that, 20 to 23 similar to Cami and and give him that opportunity and platform to go out and, and succeed and um, being slightly biased but I feel like Aussies you know really jump at this opportunity and, and see it as such a massive step and, and you know they've worked their whole life to get you know like Cami for example he's worked his whole life and trained as as hard as he could to just get an opportunity to play at Hearts or to play at a club of that stature so you know he's definitely not going to leave any stone unturned and and he's going to put everything into it which I think uh, when you're when you're making that jump to a club like Hearts or to anyone in Scotland, that's that's all you can ask for as fans is to to give a hundred percent and and to you know fully take 
both hands on that opportunity given. And I think Australians, um, years gone by, have definitely done that. So I don't really answered your question because I can't think of a That's okay. You don't, you don't have to give any um, specifics. I've got one more from Joel, which is a, a bit of a look ahead to the derby, but we will, we'll just focus on this one player in particular for now. How would you personally defend against Martin Boyle? And obviously we know already from what you've said that injuring him is one tactic. <laughs> just He's just very direct. You know, I love watching him play, even though he plays for Hibs in terms of he knows what he's very good at and he doesn't try and do anything that he can't do. You know, he just gets at defenders and, and he asks questions. And sometimes wingers can try and do a little bit too much. He knows he's got pace, so he knows he knocks it past defenders and, and can get through it. And I think in recent years, he's he's possibly struggled with his, you know, sort of final ball or, or goal scoring. But, you know, the last two seasons, he's definitely um, improved on that. And, you know, his stats last year were, were tremendous. I think he got mm-hmm. close to 15 goals and 15 assists. And this year he started on fire again. So he's definitely got that confidence. And um, going into Sunday, he's definitely going to be one that you you have to watch. And I think it's not so much just the 1v1 marking. It's it's maybe getting someone across or, or stopping that ball. Um, you know, you know they they're gonna he's gonna try to be playing on the shoulder, so um, it's probably getting pressure on the ball and, and not allowing their midfielders to to have time to pick that sort of long ball or diagonal switch over to him. And um, you know, when he does get the ball, making sure your your centre backs are across and, and helping out your fullback so that when he does take that big touch, you know, past the fullback, that your your other midfielder or um, closest centre back can get across and, and cut it out. Right, we'll, we'll we'll leave we'll leave Joel to one side. He's had he's had enough time, so we'll go to a few more questions that we've had. Uh, Scott Foley uh, says, "How were the Hibs fans with you when you were out and about in town? Did you get much stick from them?" Occasionally, you'd get the the odd sort of comment, but most of it was sort of tongue in cheek. And I know if you have a few Hibs fans that are, are my mates or or friends of friends and. Um, I think that's probably the difference between sort of the Glasgow side and, and Edinburgh side is that, yeah, there's a rivalry for that 90 minutes and there's definitely sections of both sets of supporters that properly hate each other. But um, nine times out of ten, it's more tongue-in-cheek. And, um, yeah, I'm pretty, I would like to think I'm pretty quick-witted. So there's not too many times that a Hibs fan's been able to say something and I've been a little bit tongue-tied. I've, I've got a few good comebacks to to come back with them for so they, they tend not to um not to say too much but uh, there was one time I met I think he was on he was on Twitter and I was at the end of a night and he was having a little bit of a tongue in cheek back and I think I was in China at the time so we put a bet on that Hearts <laughs> would finish above Hibs and uh, I think it was 50 quid or something that I bet him and lo and behold Hibs finished above Hearts and Next thing my Twitter went, and there he was, and sent me his bank details. So I fired across 51 pounds and 51 pence to him, and, <laughs> which he sort of found the funny side of. And um, yeah, so overpaid occasions like that. <laughs> I overpaid him by a little bit, but I'm sure he laughed when he seen it. And um, but yeah, most of the time it's 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 pretty good. And um, yeah, like I said, uh, I was lucky enough to play in a few games, and I've got a few good comebacks if, um, if any of them get too cheeky at me. Did you get any stick from the stands that you can think of in particular, or the Easter Road especially? A few kangaroo 
references um, <laughs> when you play. I used to play right back or left back, so it was right along the crowd. You know, sometimes you're better off in the middle of the pitch where you really can't get too near you, but, you know, taking throw-ins and waiting for them to throw the ball back to you, you do get some abuse. But, um, yeah, I think it's all just part of it. I think that's what people love is going to derbies and shouting at the opposition players and, and being, you know, players getting under each other's skin and, you know, there's certain players that, Hearts fans dislike it at Hibs and, and vice versa, but it's all just sort of good natured. And, and I've never felt that they sort of overstepped the mark. And um, would Rudy think if that they did it? Just, <laughs> yeah, possibly. But I also think that if you're going to dish it out, and you know, Rudy had his fair few good moments that that made him popular with the Hearts fans and, and scored a lot of goals, then you're going to expect um, a few of the sort of bad apples to to maybe overstep the mark. But at the same time, it's that's what you want from derbies. You want villains, you want heroes, you want you want hatred, you want all the fireworks. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't see, you know, especially now, everyone's so politically correct. I think that sometimes, you know, it's a football game and, and people lose their minds for 90 minutes. And and after that, it's, it's all sort of forgotten. James Govan asks, how does the passion of the Scottish game compare to the other leagues you have played in? doesn't compare really it's I love it and I think Scottish people love it they love to make fun of it but they also wouldn't have it any other way um, in terms of you know the songs that they come up with the the passion that they have is yeah it's just you look at some of the English games and, and the so-called big derbies and you know it's, it's just nowhere compared to to Scotland and you know the old firm or Edinburgh derbies even Dundee derbies I played in a few Dundee derbies and they were great um you know, it's just, I think the old firms lost it in terms of how they've cut the away fans. I think, um, you know, I was quite happy when I seen that Hearts were giving, or Hearts and Hibs kept the agreement of giving each other the full stand because I think it just makes for the atmosphere. Um, mm. You know, it, it there's nothing better than, you know, that first time Hibs try and sing a big song at Tynecastle and everyone, all the Hearts fans jump back on them and, and vice versa when Hearts first sing a song at, at Easter Road and it just ignites both sets of fans to, to out-sing each other and uh, you just miss that, and especially the last 15 months with having no fans in. I think everyone's so excited and so looking forward to, to Sunday, especially with you know the way that both teams have started. It, it's set up to be an absolute cracker and, um, yeah, no doubt it will probably be a nil-nil bore fest, but hopefully we can it can be a, a great game that we really look forward to. Um, HM Foxtrot Charlie says, would you rather score one Uzturk Thunderbastard or two from a yard out? Two's better than one, isn't it? Surely. Um, they, yeah, uh, they, all count, say... they all count one, don't they? So you've got twice as many Derby goals. Yeah, and in years gone by, that will slowly get out. You know, when, when my son Harry is a little bit older and hopefully YouTube's not around, I can tell him that it was... <laughs> Two strikes the same as Ozturks, really. He doesn't have to know that <laughs> from a combined distance of 40 centimetres. But, yeah, I think sometimes I definitely would would have rather scored a, a good goal or, yeah, even celebration, a bit of a better celebration, a bit cool, calm, collected, would have would have went down that. I'm a, now that I'm a little bit older and I'm thinking what, I look like a fucking fruit loop jumping about. But um, it's just you get caught up in the moment and it's, I think that's what everyone loves, you know, is those derby moments of people losing control. And yeah, I do definitely think sometimes it would have been cool if I scored in the, 
especially in the cup final or at Easter Road and, and done sort of a cool celebration that everyone remembered. But I think some people actually like that celebration in terms of you can just tell that I've lost my mind, really. Well, you, <laughs> and I you don't sc- know what I, what I did, really. <laughs> we watched you score for for Sydney not too long ago and you were all cool, calm, pointed to the camera and everything and and then it got varred out, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it, I scored the one I scored in my first game. Actually, um, my all my family were sitting exactly where the corner was taken, so it was quite. It was really um, a special moment for me. It was my auntie's uncle's mum, my wife. Um, you know, everyone was literally sitting where I was running to. So um, you can actually see in the celebrations a couple of my uncles standing up. So you know, personally, that was a, a really nice goal, and you know. It just happened to be, it was against Adelaide in Adelaide first game for Sydney and, and scored the winner sort of late on, which was which was good. So, um, yeah, that was a pretty cool, calm celebration. But, yeah, it probably wasn't as big a goal as, as the ones in the Edinburgh derbies, for sure. What's it like from a player's point of view? So this sound here. When that ball goes into the back of the net, obviously from a fan's point of view, Mark and I have, have both experienced that plenty of times, the, the ecstasy, the joy as the ball hits the back of the net. You've experienced it as a fan in the stand, but what's it like being on that pitch, knocking that ball over the line into the back of the net? I mean, that must be a feeling that is hard to hard to even maybe describe or, or compare to anything else. Yeah, it's, it's just so hard. And I think sometimes, Sometimes I love when fans see, I think there's a few videos um, kicking about from sort of like in the hips. There's a couple at Easter Road and it's like a hips fan. Yeah, there's one of your goal where it's from the hips end. Yeah. It's great when you see the whole stand. Yeah. And there's another one, I think it, I want to say Dale Carrick maybe. Um, And I was actually in the hearts end. It was a, a night game. And he scored it, sort of scrimmed through. Oh, it's David. It's like David Smith's one. I don't think it's an old goal in the end, isn't it? Yeah, 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 it comes yeah, yeah. Off that McGiven, I think it is. Um, I was, yeah, I was in the, the crowd that, and that angle, I think everyone, you know, especially on Twitter and Hearts fans, are like, "Wow, that's amazing!" But that's what players get to see. You know, that's where you're facing. You just get to see three thousand plus people erupt and and lose their lose their mind, like what what we do when we score. So, you know, that's a pretty special moment to to watch and, and be involved in. So, fans you sometimes don't get to understand what's going on in and around you because you're celebrating. But, you know, when you're on the pitch and you're looking up at it, it's, it's an amazing view. And yeah, definitely those couple of videos that, that come around um, on Twitter around Derby moments are, are really special to watch because it gives you a little bit of an insight of, of what it's like to, to be a player and, and what we see from, from pitch level when, when one of your teammates or you score. Uh, Michael Wilson says, stroll a Derby... Two or three nil, or a last minute winner. What's better? Oh, good question. Because um, you've strolled, you've strolled a few derbies. We scored a late equaliser. I'm sure. I remember Stephen Elliott scored one. That was a, that, I think um, that was your first derby, wasn't it? Two two game. Yeah, yeah. I came on left midfield. I'm sure. Left midfield? Did you? <laughs> <laughs> I remember Jeffrey saying warm up and I'm like oh, you don't want to ask where, where am I coming on for and then he's like you're just going to play left of midfield I was thinking oh Jesus I'm going to play left wing here and then they, I'm pretty sure I came on and they scored straight away thinking I could get taken straight back off 
Um, but I don't know. I think last minute winners have something about them. But at the same time, it's also great to be, you know, three, four nil up with 10, 15 minutes to go. And, and just knowing that, you know, you, you're going to win that derby, I think. Um, I don't know. From a player's point of view, you obviously prefer to be three or four nil up. But um, I think sometimes as a fan, there's nothing better than, you know, sort of one one and you, you know you get the last couple of minutes you're attacking them and you sneak that winner at the last minute is that's uh, probably a celebration that everyone looks back on and, and really enjoys so possibly a, a last minute winner i think here's here's an anonymous message <laughs> feel free to make me take this one out um hi lads uh could you ask gowser if he ever paid the speeding ticket i was supposed to give him when he was at dundee united I gave him some advice on how to make it disappear. Oh, Gozer. Gozer. <laughs> I actually think, yeah, I think, I think this guy's a police officer, actually. Well, I would, you know, I would assume so. I mean, they're usually the ones who give tickets, aren't they? Um, yeah, actually, yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, that was when it, yeah. This is why uh, you went to China, isn't United it? Had, You've never yeah. paid this ticket. <laughs> No, I actually remember that when someone, um, I think I'd, yeah, I think I'd left to go to China and um, they'd obviously sent the speeding fine to my flat, but I obviously wasn't there. And um, it obviously built up, built up, built up. And there obviously becomes a point where they, you have to pay it. And I hadn't been, obviously been out of the country and um, I had not long come back and I got a knock on the door and it was two police officers. <laughs> That they'd been trying to, yeah, they'd try to be in contact with me, and obviously, it sent me loads of letters. And um, the police officer got a bit of a fright when, when I had answered the door and realised that the Ryan McGowan that they were looking for was actually the Ryan McGowan that he thought, well, he didn't think it was, I guess. Um, and yeah, he was probably a bit taken aback as much as I was that the police were at the door. So I remember just being, being like, "Are you Ryan McGowan?" I said, "Yeah," and then the. the, the gentleman that was there was like oh the one that played for hearts <laughs> i was like uh yeah what, what's this about and yeah it ended up being a, a speeding fine that um i'd got obviously running late for training and, and got a speeding fine and, and had left to go to china and um yeah i hadn't obviously got the mail recorded and had to pay the did fine you, so did you pay it then <laughs> was it still yeah. outstanding <laughs> I, I added a, an extra 51 pence to it for the <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, it, it totally built up because I'd obviously, I think it was six months late paying the fine, but, um, yeah, a little bit of legal work in terms of, um, they obviously didn't know that my circumstances of, of leaving the country. So yeah, that was a little bit of a hassle at the time, but yeah, probably looking back at six, seven years ago. So yeah, thankfully I had no speeding fine since. I'm glad that you've this was sorted out and it wasn't a moment where you're like, oh shit, is that still? Yeah, totally how much is that speeding fine now? <laughs> Seven years late fees of uh, that speeding <laughs> fine would have tallied up. I, I was going to ask you a question actually, not one that anyone was sent through. What was, this is largely coming from a few of us were having a chat the other week about your former manager, Paolo Sergio. What, what was he like? Because one of the things that we were chuckling about actually was the fact that a few people told me that he constantly used to set off the um, smoke alarms uh, at the dressing room, both around Tynecastle and at away grounds when he was trying to get in a, a pre-match cigarette. 
what kind of character was was Paolo like? Because he's obviously very fondly remembered, and rightly so, by Hearts fans for that fantastic day in 2012. But what, what was he like? Yeah, he was good. He was very meticulous in what he did. I think I've spoken about it before in terms of training was, you know, it was on a sheet of paper and everything was planned out in terms of who picked up the bibs, who was in, you know, the three sets of three teams in the possession base was all sort of settled out and, and done in, you know, an hour before you even went out on the pitch. So you knew exactly what you're doing for how long, um, you know, two-minute drink break, and then you move to the side of the pitch to do the bizarre, the passing drill, which will be in two sets, and you'll be in that group. So it was very much, you knew exactly what you were doing. But he was, on game day, he was calm. But yeah, like you said, I, I'm not sure if it was from the 20 cigarettes that he had, you know, during the team talk or before the team talk. And <laughs> I remember a few times at, at halftime, you, you'd be sitting waiting for him, and he'd obviously be in the showers having a quick cigarette to calm himself down and then come out. And yeah, he was very... I think it was very tactical based and I don't think a lot of players had sort of had that. I think the times have changed now, but he was maybe a little bit before his time in terms of, you know, he maybe had Billy Brown and Jim Jeffries who would come in and, and it would be a case of we need to win more headers and more second balls and win more tackles. Whereas he was a bit more like when we win the ball, we need to keep it for five, six passes. And we, you know, tactically, this is why we're not playing so well. It wasn't so much of a case of, we weren't winning enough headers and we weren't picking up second balls. It was because tactically we were in the wrong place, which he would you know, show us on the board or fix with a, a substitution or a change of formation, which, yeah, of course, some games worked and some games that was true. But, you know, there was definitely other times when it was a case of, you know, we weren't being aggressive enough and we weren't picking up too many second balls. So um, he definitely had a good balance in terms of, you know, Lockie was there to, to sort of rev us up and, and get that side of the game going. But he was also very much one that, you know, it was like a big chess game for him. And, and he liked that side of the game, knowing that a tweak or a player here or there or, or a game plan could win you the game just as much as, you know, winning first and second balls and, and being on the front foot, front foot could as well. Right, let's move on to this weekend's big game. Moving on. Moving on. I think... Mark is moving on as we speak around his hotel in New York City. Yes, yes. <laughs> Jump in <laughs> a yellow no, cab, are you? No, I've got. Come on, son. I'm living the McGowan life here. It's a five-star hotel in New York, and we've got a chauffeur-driven car from door to door. This is how it feels like to be Ryan McGowan. <laughs> got bodyguards and everything. Well, no, no. Um, I pay speeding tickets. Well, I don't because I've never had one. Uh-huh. So there you go. Good though. It's a good lifestyle, isn't it, Miguel? It's a good lifestyle. I have to say. Right, well, we'll look ahead to Hibs. I mean, Ryan, first, before we talk about this game in particular, I know you've caught quite a few of the Hearts games so far this season and you've been keeping an eye on the transfer business. What do you think of the the current Hearts team and, and how they're performing so far? I think they're doing really well. I think sort of every Hearts fan, probably before the season started, was a little bit nervous or a little bit apprehensive to see how we would go considering that although we won the league uh, last year quite comfortably probably the performances weren't there and there was maybe that you know doubt of how we would handle the jump up to the Premier League but I think the signings like we touched on earlier uh, signings that everyone's impressed with and added to the quality you know they're not just players squad players they're either be coming into the starting 11 or challenging to be in that starting 11 and I really enjoyed the interview with Robbie Nielsen during the week. I think it was on Sky Sports in terms of 
you know, you look at on paper now, they've got a lot of good, good players and a lot of match winners and a lot of different options to have. And, you know, probably at the start of the season, if you looked at the bench, there was a few younger players and there was, um, I think, one, even one of the, the games, they didn't have enough players to, to yeah. fill the bench. Whereas now it's, you know, there's going to be a few good players that are, are in the stands. And um, I think that sort of builds a strong, you know, training sessions will be more intense because you'll have players that are trying to even just get onto the bench and then the players that are on the bench are trying to get into the first team and the players that are actually playing have that pressure of if I don't perform, I could find myself out of the team. So, yeah, all credit goes to to the, the coaching staff and the sort of hierarchy in terms of, of the structure that they've brought into place. And, yeah, you know, with the fan ownership coming in and being top of the league, going into a derby, you know, you win that, you're, you're three points or a few points clear at the top of the league after you know, a really difficult start on paper. And um, it's one that, you know, definitely will galvanise the the squad. And, you know, the, the more you can build on this sort of feel-good factor around, you know, it can, it can transform into to victories and to wins. And, you know, before you know it, it's December, January, and you're still up and about challenging. And, yeah, you know, both old firm teams are will have sort of the eye on Europe and, and, you know, their own sort of problems that they're going through. So it's a, a great opportunity to to try and stake a claim and, and, you know, be a team that's challenging. And you look at the, the both sort of Edinburgh teams on paper, you know, they've got good teams and uh, they've got good players and, and match winners all over the place. So not only this game, which should be a cracker, but, you know, especially Hearts looking forward to the next five or six games. I don't think they'll be, they'll be looking at five or six wins, which could really kick on their season. And, and before you know it, the halfway through the season and, and in and around the top place, top places, which is exactly where you want you know, Hearts to be. Hearts have won three of the last four meetings with Hibs, including the last meeting, which was the Scottish Cup semi-final, which was last season, but the season before. We all know that complication. But they have lost the last two home derbies without a win in three at Tynecastle against Hibs. And strangely, recent derbies have favoured the away team. Hearts with three wins and a draw from their last four visits to Easter Road and Hibs with two wins and a draw from their last three visits to Tynecastle. However, this was during periods of time where both clubs were struggling a bit. Ryan, do you think that's partly to do with maybe the pressure from home fans because neither side were maybe having particularly good spells? Yeah, I think so. And I think historically, when you look at it, this is probably the first time in a long time that both sets of fans, both sets of players are really confident in going into a derby. Normally, it's kind of been you know, maybe Hearts were in the championship, you know, the Scottish Cup semi-final, for example, Hibs were red-hot favourites compared mm-hmm. to Hearts. And whereas this game, I think both managers, both players, both sets of fans are, you know, are going to win that game. And they, they don't fear each other. And they know that if they play their best, they could win the game. So um, I can just see this game at the weekend being a case of whoever performs better on the day will win. Um, because I don't think Hibs will go there to, to get a draw. I don't think Hibs will be particularly nervous about what Hearts can do to him and vice versa. I feel like Hearts will be like, if we play at our best, we'll, we'll wipe the floor with them. So um, it's definitely set up to be a, an attacking and entertaining game. And it's, it's so early on in the season and, and both teams are riding that wave of, Worst case, you do lose. You know, you're not. You still will be in the top three or top four, and you've still had a good start to the season. So it's, it's just one that I do think Hearts, if they start well, will, will end up winning the game. 
I go back to when I was used to play and, and Gary Locke and Jim Jeffries would, it's the first 15, 20 minutes is so important. Um, you know, you see that with the Celtic game, first game of the season, if you can get the sort of fans on your, on your side early on and, you know, win a few corners and be on the front foot and attacking the game, then, then it can sort of carry you on throughout that whole, throughout the whole game. So I think the, the first 20 minutes is so important for, for both sets of players and, and whoever can sort of steady the ship and play their football the best um, will give themselves the best opportunity to go on and win that game. In terms of team news, Stephen Kingsley is available again after missing two matches with illness. Uh, Barry Mackay, recent signing, as well as Cammy Devlin, Taylor Moore, Ben Woodburn, all pushing to be involved. Uh, Michael Smith apparently will be assessed after coming off the leg knock during Northern Ireland's draw with Switzerland on Wednesday, but the only definite absentee for Hearts is Cammy Logan, other than uh, Jamie Brandon, who has been a long-term injury worry for some time for Hearts. Boyle is a potential doubt for Hibs, but it uh, looks like he might be in contention to start. Uh, Paul Hanlon, also a potential doubt. If he isn't available, then Darren McGregor will probably start for Hibs. It's a potentially interesting battle here, and looking at Hibs, they have moved to a 4-2-3-1 formation this season. They often have either Nisbet or Dodge leading the line. Boyle on the right of the three, Jamie Murphy left, McGinnis in that number 10 role with the apparently very impressive Doyle Hayes alongside Newell in the holding role. Um, how will this battle, how do you think this battle will pan out? Because it's two different systems potentially, mm-hmm. albeit Hibs did play 3-4-3 at some points pre-season. So they, apparently they do have the potential to move to that. But the likelihood is a 4-2-3-1 from Hibs, a 3-4-3 for Hearts. How is this going to pan out from a Hearts perspective? Because we saw in the Aberdeen game, it turned into a bit of a midfield battle and Hearts struggled to link the middle of the park into the attacking areas. Yeah, I do think that we have to be wary of, of some of their players. Um, like I said, they, you know, they've had a great start to the season and and they're scoring a lot of goals. And um, yeah, I think i just seen that Boyley won um, Player of the Month and He's on a good goal-scoring form, so I do think we need to be wary of of some of their players. But at the same time, I do think that they will have to be wary of the hips, uh, the Hearts players. Sorry. So I would just be more of the mindset of we're at home, we're Hearts, and we're going to go win this game. So you can throw whatever you want, but we'll be on the front foot and we'll be the ones that are dictating the game. And if you have that mindset, then it's a big task for them to try and overcome that. So. Um, that I think that's what Robbie will be. That will be his approach in terms of you know we need to be wary and we need to be cautious and, and have a game plan to combat Hibs better players. But at the same time, let's just be bossing the game and be making Boyle run back or make him defend or make him do things that he doesn't want to be doing. And um, you know, if you can do that for the majority of the game, then it keeps him quiet and it gives you a better chance of winning it. Hearts attacking front three. We've got Gary Mackay, Stephen. We've got Boyle. We've we've obviously got Janelli, Woodburn, Barry Mackay in the mix. Is this the the best? I guess is this the the most options we've had in in this area for quite some time. That to me or McGowan? To you this time because I'm, I'm going to make you do something. Oh, okay. I just thought you've got a, a, a kind of an international footballer. And you're talking tactics, and you want to speak to me about that? Well, um, I ask no, myself I that every week. Well, I know, I know but there's no one else really. We're 150 in. I've done 149 of them. You would have fired me by now. Um, Barry will get a, a cameo. 
because he's clearly he's been doing his own fitness, but he's he's not he's not a hundred percent. So he'll he'll get a cameo at anything um, at best. But I I don't know. I mean, who's the midfield and 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 what we're we going for in the middle of the park? Does does how would you go? Spot? What would you go for, Ryan? Then center of the park. Benny Beningame is surely a must. Yeah, plus plus one. Who's the one? If this was in three weeks' time, I'd go Devlin, but I think it's too early for him, so I'd probably go Halliday or Haring, I'm guessing. But if you go Halliday with Beningame, do you not... Is there enough mobility in there? Same could be asked you've of Haring, though. Got, I, I, of course, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like you've got that platform to then let the front four do what they want, you know? And you can push the wing... You can push the full-backs on and still have that base in terms of you know having that defensive structure and and like that you know if if Boyle is staying high and letting the fullback advance then you just get Halliday or hiring to shift the cross and and be that extra layer of protection and just let that front four cause Hibs problems and and keep the ball in Hibs half you know and and when they clear it you've got that protection in front of the the, the back two of of keeping the ball and um, got a little bit of steel, got a little bit of height, got a little bit of everything in there in terms of, of getting around the pitch. And, um, you know, Robbie's shown throughout this season and, and probably previously that if it's not working or if at any point in the second half it seems to be struggling, he, you know, he's been very good in his substitutions and, and tweaking things to sort of get the, str- the foothold back of the game. So um, I definitely think players coming off the bench in most games and, and especially in big games will make a, a difference and um, that's where I feel that hearts are slightly stronger in terms of we've got a few more game changes that can can definitely lift you know if it's 1-1 and we're bringing Mackay on and Janelli for example if they both didn't start you know that's going to give the hearts fans definitely a lift and and one that if you're a Hibs player you're thinking oh geez I've just you know handled Gary Mackay Stevens and um, is it Wood, Woodburn? You know, yeah. we just handled them, and, and now we've got these two coming on who are equally just as good. So it's you know definitely like we touched on earlier, the, the squad depth and um, the options to change a game during a game are definitely um, a lot more in in Hart's favour than than Hibbs going into this game. Ryan, you are so here's a scenario: you are in the Hearts coaching staff on Sunday. You've been handed defensive duties, so you've got to speak to. Kingsley, Cochrane, maybe Halliday, whoever's going to be on that left side. What, what are you going to tell them to, how are they going to tackle the biggest Hibs threat, which is your international teammate, Martin Boyle? Uh, I'll just be telling them to get as tight as possible, um, which sounds crazy due to his speed. But um, Does he not play off that sometimes? Yeah, for sure he does. But I think, again, it's like what I said, it's, it's not so much you'd be speaking to the left back, so you'd be speaking to the left centre back to say, Make sure you're across. Make sure if Boyle takes that big touch down the line that you've given yourself enough space to get across and cut it out. You'd be speaking to your, your strikers and your, your central midfielders to not allow those midfielders the ball in terms of if their left-back's got the ball and plays it into the centre of the pitch, nine times out of ten, that, that centre midfielder is trying to open up and play that long diagonal over to Boyle. So everyone just has to be ready for that. You, you can't get caught out on on that ball. So... That would be my case, and, and and just get as tight. Just let him know that he's in a game. If he beats you, fine, he beats you. But you've got your centre back coming across. You have your midfielder coming across. But the worst thing you can do is drop off and let him build up some speed and be running at you. That's what you don't want as a fullback. Is 
is for him to take a couple of touches and then you know he can come inside he can go down the line whereas you want to be trying to, to influence him into areas that you want him to go into whether that be you know shutting off the line and, and pushing him inside onto his left foot and into bodies where you've got your left center back or um, your center midfielders coming across to help you so I definitely think that would be that'd be spoken about in terms of of not letting him get on the ball and get running at you. You know, if he gets on the ball and, and you're tight, he's going to have to take a, a crazy or a great touch to one touch to take it around you, or he's just going to have to beat you. And that comes down to 1v1 defending. You just need to be on top of your game and, and nullify that. Just also taking chances of each each one of you having a hit at him. That old sort of, it's not really part of the game, but, you know, if I'm the left back, I'd be getting trying to get one in early on him and then it's up to your sort of left midfielder to then get one on him and then just, you know, you take it in turns of, of having a little pop at him. And um, What's he struggling with again? Yeah, uh, It's his right hamstring. So I'll definitely be needing that in the first <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> I was trying to get a kick at him on the plane just to, to give it a little bit more. But um, yeah, you know, he, he is a dangerous player and, and there's going to be times during the game where he's going to get past you. And it's just how you deal with that and how you and how you adjust. So, you know, as much as you can be on top of your game as a fullback or as a defender, there is going to be opportunities when he gets past you because you're going to try and be as tight as possible. And it's just then handling when he does on stopping that cross or getting it across and, and just forcing him into areas that, that as a Hearts team you want him to be in. With the players that we now have after the transfer window, what's the best formation for the players we've got? Uh, yeah, four three three or a four two three one possibly. Mm-hmm. I'd go with it. I would go with that four two three one with who we've now got. One. Yeah, it, give, the problem given, with that give, is you need your wingers. You yeah. need your wingers to get close to Boyce if you're playing him as a nine, and and it, like I touched on before, that the two sort of sitting midfielders give that protection to the front four. You, know, you can almost give that front four freedom of, of going in behind or, or pinning back, you know, Hibs back four. And, um, yeah, it, it also means that your full backs are on the ball a lot more. Um, so you, you, you need to, to, with the ball, you need to have your options. You know, so if you're Smith at, at right back, you need to have someone down the line, whether that's Boyce running the channel or if Boyce comes short, then you need to tell your 10. You, you need to have your your players set up in a formation so that when the front four, if you see Boyce coming short, one of the three behind him have to run in behind. Otherwise, he's not going to get the ball and the ball's just going to keep coming back. So mm-hmm. it'd be a case of telling Gary Mackay-Stevens, listen, you you go off Boyce. If you see Boyce going in the channel or making a run, then you can drop in and, and pick up the ball or you can stay on the line. But if you see Boyce coming short, then you need to make that run in behind. And, and as the season goes or as you're training, you need to be working on that constantly in terms of those little key settings of, you know, if the ten if Woodburn's playing ten and he's coming short, then Boyce needs to pin the two centre backs and keep it high so that he's got enough room. And if the defenders then drop off onto Woodburn, then your two sitting midfielders are free and they have the opportunity to turn and switch it out to the other side. So that's to be key triggers, you know, throughout the team of, of when they're moving into positions, what the other players do and I'm sure they've been working on that and and it would just be a case of making sure it works come Sunday. Given the likelihood of Robbie's formation preference being 3-4-3, three, three, who's the three up top when everyone's fit? Boyce has to play. And then, and then I think it, it, it's it's that good challenge of we could all probably name different front threes. It would be whoever's playing better and, and that's what mm-hmm. happens when you have a strong squad. Yeah. You know, if 
Woodburn starts and he doesn't particularly play well for the first 60 minutes and you bring Mackay on and he does well, then Mackay, then Mackay starts and Woodburn then has to take his opportunity when he gets when he gets one next time. If Gary Mackay-Stevens is out of the game, he knows he has to pull his finger out and start playing well, otherwise someone else is going to take his opportunity and it, it, that just breeds that competitiveness within the squad which makes Hearts play better is because you have these options of you need to be playing well. Right, predictions. Ryan, Sunday, what do we reckon? 3-1 win. I like it. Do you want to go goal scorers? I'll go Boyce, first goal scorer. Okay. I'll go, we go 2-1 up, Hibs score, and then it's a nervy 10-15 minutes, and then we get one on the break. That's my predictions. Nice. I'll take that. Mark, if you're still there. Yeah. Um, 2-1 hearts, and... Ben Woodburn to score the winner. Good. I like the sound of that. Just to be different, I'm going to go 2 0. I like the sound of 3 1, but we'll have to mix up. I'll go 2 0. Gary Mackay Stephen is definitely going to score because he loves scoring against Hibs. Eight goals and 16 appearances it's against Hibs. Yeah. Absolutely love scoring against them. So I go Gary Mackay Stephen and Barry Mackay off the bench to score in his debut to seal it. Suso style, like at Tyne Castle when, back when you were playing mm. Ryan on the break. Yeah, yeah, the game stretched. That's where I can see the third goal going. And I also feel confident that our wingers won't get the better of their fullbacks, whereas I don't feel like their wingers will get the better of our fullbacks. That's good. That makes sense. Yeah, no, that that does make sense. That could be where it's won, uh, won or lost. Yeah, yeah. I just think with, with JMS on one side and and even having that option of flipping them. You know, if he's playing on the left and it's not particularly working out, he can he can go over to the right and cut in on his left. Um, there's just so much different options that Robbie's got, and it would just be a case of of the players delivering on you know, the the game plan that he's set out on, and then having that flexibility throughout the game to to be able to change it to to help us if we're we're struggling a little bit. But um, yeah, I'm definitely confident going into the game that that we have enough. I'm a lot more confident than I was say at the start of the season. With, with the signing that we've had and, and especially the structure and the, you know the confidence that they they should have after the the results that we've got you know in this last four or five games well let's hope any of those three predictions um come to light that would certainly certainly go down well around gorgi <laughs> thank you for for joining ryan we appreciate that i know you've been busy on international duty and back in qa have you got any sort of game this weekend coming up yeah, we've got a cup game on Sunday night actually, so it'll be um, after the after the derby. So it'll be good. I'm glad it's an early kickoff, so I'll get to watch the the derby, and then we've got a, a cup game Sunday night, which um, yeah, which should, should be good. Looking forward to it. Excellent, Mark. two wins from two. <laughs> Indeed, definitely that would be a good double for a Sunday. Mark, I know you've got US uh, Open duty. Is there a final yeah. on Sunday? Yeah, men's final. I'm <laughs> not being able to get a word in with you, gobshite. <laughs> That's me. Been in a Joel tunnel Skeds, all the time. Well, exactly. Joel Sked's got about 20 articles out of this. Um, no, thank you for joining us. Men's final Sunday, women's final Saturday. Also going to the baseball Saturday night to do a piece on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Um, it's the Mets against the Yankees. So then get up early Sunday morning to watch the, the Hearts game and then off to the tents. Good stuff. What a life. I know. Yeah, I know. Right. 
this is what this is what media is like after you retire, McGowan. So um, maybe we'll get your brother on instead. Is it slightly more eloquent, I think, and, and not as cheeky? Um, so maybe maybe Dylan could, uh, could take this life. You'll be counting your money, oh boy. boy. I don't know. Just sensible. It's not much as a rascal as you are. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. No, really appreciate it. Episode 150. Thank you to Ryan for joining. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. As always, you can get in touch uh, via Twitter. That's at Around the Funnel. Or you can email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. Congratulations to Robbie Nielsen, who is Manager of the Month in the Scottish Premiership. And good luck to him and his team on Sunday. We'll be back next week, hopefully to discuss a Hearts Derby victory. But whatever happens... We will, of course, be back on Scarves Around the Funnel. Until then, thanks for tuning in. <laughs>